bitches bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And Amy is uh, indisposed this week. Yeah, she's doing, she's tending to family matters. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's just the two of us. So Erica, what's up? Um, I feel like when you came in, I had all this stuff to say. And now I'm like, uh... <laughs> okay, so we also spent the past like 45 minutes just like talking about a bunch of random. Yeah, shit. yeah, we did. Um, so this week I judged a feminist lip sync battle. Ooh, yeah, it was fun. It was at the happy goat. Octiva put it on. So shout out to Octiva. Um, and I was on a, another podcast called Medicine for the Resistance. What a cool name. I know. So we were talking about all sorts of things like crossing the border and um, Desmond Cole getting stopped and, um, you know, carding in general. Um, just a lot of stuff. Cool. Um, I did nothing that cool this week. I uh, realized I needed to write an op-ed at 9 p.m. one day this week, and I was like, oh, fuck. Wait, what? which op-ed? Uh, it hasn't come out yet, uh, but it'll be in the Ottawa Citizen. It'll be about how the city, uh, following their recent municipal elections and asking for volunteers for their boards and committees, are just basically discriminating against a huge swath of the population because uh, a lot of the committees, particularly the most important ones, like the Transportation Committee, um, the Heritage Committee, planning committees, they all meet during the day. And people like you and I who have jobs, um, we, we can't participate in those committees, um, even though we are civic minded and want to be engaged. Um, there are barriers for our participation for not. And that's just even us as like working people. That's not even us as like people who have kids who have. Uh, work shift work who rely on childcare and so yeah there's a lot of barriers to participation which just like furthers yet the participation of the majority population which you, are old white people you and i are of one mind because i did a twitter thread on this oh yeah i did a twitter thread like before that oh did you yeah okay so there you go we like separately have like one mind yeah because yeah i i i remember talking about this and talking about people not only people with childcare, people with shift work too, mm-hmm. and how that excludes them. And you're right; they meet at like 3 p.m., which is if you're a working person, you have to have enough of a flexible work schedule. So most likely, you're either in government or you're in some type of executive position where you don't yep. have to be in your desk all the time. Yep. And that part of your job is actually going out and you know, getting business or whatever, or your, um, or your, cause even small business owners probably can't do that. And so, um, it leaves out women. It's really just constricts all of the applicants to people who either have are an elite education, stay at home people. Um, uh, I'm not going to assume they're moms because mm-hmm. that's not necessarily true. So people who can afford to live on one salary 
um, or people in executive ranks whose job it is to do these things. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the police services board. Um, they meet monthly uh, at 4 p.m., which, again, is a prohibitive time. Yeah. But then the requirement that's daycare time, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, like pick your kids up from daycare. time. Yeah. And the, they also said that the commitment for that board is on average 25 hours per month. That's a lot of time. Yeah. So not in addition to the monthly board meeting, which is the whole board, you are required to sit on a subcommittee, which only meet during the day. And then you have to do your readings and briefings and all that type of thing. But there's also, they said on average, three to seven events or meetings per month and on average five. Mm -hmm. If you have a family, you're fucked. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah. If you do literally any other thing or if you work in the evenings or whatever, you're fucked. Well, these things are set up for men with women who stay at home. Absolutely. And men in particular positions. Mm -hmm. There's a very Don Draper-esque type of dude that these boards are there for. And you know what's going to happen? The mayor's going to be like, I promise 50% women. Yeah. Oh, well. We didn't get 50% women who applied. We didn't get any who applied. So, you know, we tried. You know, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Wait for it. You heard it here first. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, that's our weekly shit on the city of Ottawa. I like these intro. Sh- <laughs> that, I like these intro like rants. That it works. You know, <laughs> it's fine. Um, anyway, so uh, this week in feminism, the Ontario Pro- uh, Progressive Conservative government released their fall economic statement. Um, this statement was delivered on November fifteenth by Ontario Finance Minister Vic Fideli, and. Well, unsurprisingly, he announced multiple cuts, including one, the elimination of rent controls for tenants moving into new buildings, though there will be no changes to existing rent controls. Um, Fideli says that this is intended intended to spur the construction of new affordable rental units. Okay. Um, three of Ontario's nine legislative officer positions Uh, were cut and this includes the child and youth commissioner which monitors and investigates abuse within the province's child welfare system Uh, the environmental commissioner which is a watchdog position that ensures the provincial government abides by provincial environmental laws and finally uh, the french language commissioner Uh, they also got rid of a planned surtax on high earning ontarians proposed by the previous Liberal government that would have generated $275 million in revenue. And in addition to these cuts, Fideli announced a new tax credit for low-income earners called LIFT, a.k.a. Low Income Individuals and Family Tax Credit, um, which says um, those who earn less than $30,000 per year will not pay Ontario's personal income tax. And I think we talked about this during the the election campaign. Um, And finally, uh, much to everyone's delight, uh, the finance minister also announced that Ontario liquor stores and beer stores will now be able to stay open later from uh, closing at 9 p.m. to now closing at 11 p.m. seven days a week. So except on Sundays, they used to close at six. So now we can we can drink an extra five hours on Sundays. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
it, uh, once again, the progressive conservative government blamed the cuts on the $15 billion provincial deficit it says they inherited from the previous liberal government. Um, with all of their changes and cuts, the uh, conservatives have said that the deficit, the provincial deficit, will move to $14.5 billion. So really, really saving us a lot of money there with these these cuts. Um, also, just a, a quick point that on October 2nd, Premier Doug Ford announced in the Ontario legislator, legislature that his government would be getting rid of Bill 148. Uh, this was a bill introduced by the Liberals, and it's an employment labor reform bill that guarantees part-time workers will be paid the same rate as full-time workers doing the same job, orders employers to pay workers for three hours if their shift is canceled with less than 48 hours notice, gives workers three weeks of vacation after five years of employment as well as 10 personal days a year, two of which must be paid. And finally, it's the same bill that was introduced the minimum wage increase to $14 an hour in 2018 and which would have increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour in 2019 so that's some dumb shit where to start <laughs> um so it's it's really a dog's breakfast of shit yeah um so the elimination of rent controls is just going to exacerbate an affordable housing crisis absolutely yeah because um, i don't trust that the conservative government to create new affordable rental housing units. Exactly. Because they're, they're saying that it's going to be, Oh, the free market will do it. Fine. Sure. If you want to believe that fine. But the reality is, is that that's not where the money is going to come from. Like people aren't going to be able to profit off that. And people like money. Mm -hmm. If you leave it to the free market, they'd rather profit than do something good. Well, yeah, I, I think that, um now i i think that what he's saying is that there's not enough supply and the reason that there's not enough supply is that there are these rent controls but this is the thing like this this is a very complicated issue <laughs> rent control um let's put it this way economic thought is with Doug Ford i guess you could say um, but this is the problem, um, releasing for, for the problem is basically supply, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, the idea is that, um, rent control, um, diminishes supply because, um, l fewer suppliers want to build new housing, due to a lack of profit, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. However, um, <laughs> even though that may be true, we have an affordable housing crisis anyway. Um, it's not just a supply of all units. Um, it's a supply of affordable units in particular areas. And... I'm not sure that eliminating rent control on new builds will um, will solve that issue. That's my point.
it doesn't it, it doesn't include the distribution issue. So sure. there's a distribution of supply that we're not talking about. So when you're talking about an economy in which you have the very like the middle is kind of hollowing out and you have the very rich and the very poor um, or upper class and more working to lower class. I'm just not sure that that will I, I just think that that will exacerbate the affordable housing issue. Yeah, and I think it there they were also eliminating That was long-winded. I think they were also eliminating rent control for uh, uh units that were being renovated. So like if someone is evicted for a renovation, the owner could renovate it and then jack up the rent outside of the market value of the area or for that building. That's a problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem. And the question is, where is everybody else supposed to go? Well, yeah, especially when, like, Toronto has one of the most obscene housing prices in Canada. Yeah. So you can't rent and you can't buy. So what is, then what happens then? Then you have a large portion of the market that are just left out. Yeah, it's it's uh, not great, but, like... I mean, I can't even try to, I can't even imagine like trying to justify the logic for this. And especially when um, minimum wage is being cut. Because the thing is. Or minimum wage increases are being rolled back. Well, they're they're staying the same as now. Yeah. Yeah. But he's eliminating the increase, right? Yes. Okay. Um, The thing is, is that like, what does this going to result in? It could very likely just result in a ghetto. Like they're going to build, if they're going to build affordable housing, they're going to build it all in one area. Yeah. It's going to ghettoize a neighborhood. Yeah. And it, that's not how you create an environment for which people can get out of, to try to achieve success and to, uh, you know, uh, reach move the middle the, class. Move up the yeah. social, socioeconomic yeah. ladder. Yeah. So in other words, I, I think the idea, like he's further entrenching people mm-hmm. within their class. And um, that's unfortunate actually. And especially in a place like Toronto. Yeah. That's, um, that's really unfortunate because it's, it really is going to affect immigrants and people of color and single women. Because then you get the police that'll just monitor those ghettoized neighborhoods. Right. And uh Right. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. He's like, oh, well, dark-skinned people are bad, therefore we'll separate them away from and segregate them from everyone else because they're poor and they're not worthwhile and they're bad because they're in jail and we'll put them in jail and we'll send more police there. And it's just a cycle of fuckery. Good point, good point, um, good point. Good. Also, can we talk about this, like, getting rid of the child and youth commissioner whose job is to watch children's abuse and like in welfare programs. I don't understand. How heartless can you be? Like how, how? So these cuts are being made on the backs of poor people. And also, also, um, giving this new, uh, 
tax credit for low income earners, the lift tax credit. Um, the argument was that if you like, so I think the argument is that like, Oh, if you earn less than $30,000 a year, the tax, you will save 800 to $1,200 in taxes. You'll get that back as a tax credit Mm -hmm. depending on like your living situation and your tax situation. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, increasing the minimum wage to $15 would have been a better deal for people who are on the minimum wage. They would earn more money over a longer period of time and more sustainable income. Mm-hmm. So having a tax credit, they're also losing out on that tax money. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, this seems like a right thing to do because it's our idea and not the liberals' idea. Well, I, you know, this idea of giving tax credits is, I think, silly. Because yep. at the end of the day, I mean, you're getting a rebate of money like once a year. Right. Yeah. So you have to pony up the taxes in the first place and then get a rebate like Mm -hmm. that makes no sense to me. There's a there's a mismatch of timing there. Yeah. So all throughout the year, you're struggling and then you get one big tax, one check Mm -hmm. like that makes like in a general living consumption sense in in terms of income smoothing, let's say that makes no sense to me. That's why I'm like. Mm -hmm. All all these people are like, well, you get it back in taxes, yeah, but you have to you have to spend it first, mm-hmm. and maybe and you're spending it throughout the year, so you're actually living on a depressed income, even if you get like a bonus check. Yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's a bonus check. Yeah. So I mean, like for example. If you're if you're like rent does not like rent is not paid in one bonus check. It's paid throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So the where you're going to choose to live is based on your take home. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like it makes no sense to me. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the government, the Ontario progressive conservatives got rid of two revenue streams i think they need to drop progressive and then okay. and then cut jobs like a a watchdog position that like is outlandishly rude i so i don't like i understand like the inherent you know tenets of conservatism like fiscal conservatism social conservatism blah 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 how i'm not it It's not clear to me how this government is fiscally conservative. I don't know either. Because, like, the economics of this... Makes no sense. No. Makes no fucking sense. No. I know. Because, basically, they saved... Oh, what is it? 500... Yeah, $500,000. Million dollars. $500 million. $500 million. From a $15 billion deficit. Yeah, cool. On the backs of poor people. Cool. So what else are they going to cut? I don't know. Listen, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, Bill 148 thing. Oh. With the the minimum wage, with the, you know, equal work for, or equal pay for part-time, full-time workers. What a... You've been talking about it a little bit on Facebook. Yeah. 
sharing some thoughts. Oh, of the bill? Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, um, it guarantees part-time workers will be paid the same. So, like, we know that, like, okay. it's going to disproportionately affect women and minorities, right? And anyone who has an and alternative yeah. working arrangement, too, right? Um, I don't understand. Like, it's it just seems very much one of those things where. Doug Ford was like, well, this is a liberal thing. Therefore, I'm getting rid of it, which is very Trump-esque where he was like, oh, Barack Obama, he he promoted this. Therefore, I'm against it. Doug Ford is very petty. He's like 50 cent petty. <laughs> and you know how 50 cent is petty. P-E-T-T-Y. Like, holy. Oh, he God. is like, honestly. Oh, by the way, I understand, too, that um, his... Uh, Doug Ford's approval rating is in the toilet, and it's because part- of this. Beca- partially, be- a lot of it because of this Bill One Forty Eight. Yeah, and what bothers me is that um, he's really taken the bottom out of out of pre- on a, on already precarious work situation, and um, like part time workers getting the same rate as full-time workers doing the same job should be an expectation. I don't understand how people can get away with that, first of all. I know. It seems very especially, illegal. Especially if they're not paying benefits. Yeah. Like, shouldn't they make more if you're not paying benefits? I I agree. Okay. Orders employees to pay worker, employers to pay workers for three-hour shift if their shift is canceled with, well, yeah. I think so. Um, gives workers three weeks of vacation after five years of employment, as well as ten personal days a year, two of which must which must be paid. I think this is a no brainer. Um, introduced the minimum wage increase to fourteen dollars an hour. Well, it's the minimum wage increase. Mm-hmm. That, um, by the way, like apparently Ontario's economy is doing pretty good. Yeah. So where's this job killer? I agree. That was the big argument from bit small businesses. Uh, I mean, small is relative. Yeah. To raising raising their their minimum wage, and like I say, relative because I'm going to use an Ottawa based coffee chain as an example. They've got multiple locations. Bridgehead, who was very not in favor of the minimum wage increase bridgehead is known for treating their employees like shit. oh i know i know like shit i know but that's why i'm saying like you know like that's why were... i don't go to bridgehead anymore that and the whole of dear man abdi thing and how the i know. mean same like i go there if yeah. i have to well but we, like well amy went on a very good rant sure. on this like <laughs> earlier in the summer so yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna steal that away but yeah go ahead but yeah like there are businesses of all si- sizes who are um, who were against the minimum wage increase and seem to be doing fine. Bridgehead is a small business. Let's put it that way. And Bridgehead is, and their coffee shit. 
And I don't know what happened to their coffee over the last two years, but it went to hell. Anyway, all this to say... It's because they're too busy ba- paying people a living wage to, like, invest in, like, good beans. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I think that here's here's what we know. We know that over the past 30 or 40 years there have been productivity gains in the economy we know that those have not gone to workers we know that a lot of those gains have accrued to people at the top of the income scale um now canadian productivity gains are a lot lower than the u.s which is why you know Every politician runs around with their heads cut off talking about innovation, innovation, innovation. Um, But that is the trend that the real wage has been like stagnant. The I, I think part of the idea was to raise the minimum wage to give back some of those gains to workers, like especially in the working class. Um. And I don't have a problem with that. I think I think the minimum wage is one of those things which should be raised because of that reality. The fact is, is that there's a growing income inequality in this country mm-hmm. and bad things come from growing income inequality. The French Revolution was basically an income inequality issue. Right. <laughs> I mean, obviously to the extreme, but we saw what happened there. So I just want to, I'm going to sort of change gears a little bit here. So right now, as we're recording this podcast on Saturday, uh, November 17th, um, the Ontario PC party is having their, um, their policy convention. And uh, it seems as though the Ontario PCs just passed a resolution from, that was put forth by leadership candidate that, Doug Ford eventually went on to win Tanya Granick Allen. Um, the resolution reads that quote, gender identity is not real and a PC government will remove the teaching teachings and promotion of gender identity theory from schools and its curriculum. Fuck right off. Also, I would just like to take this time to shout out uh, former premier Kathleen Wynne, uh, who was the liberal premier prior to Doug Ford's government, who during the campaign went on to say that an NDP government would be just as bad as a conservative government. This is like the Hillary Fuck Kathleen Wynne. This is, yeah. Fuck Kathleen Wynne. Because right. Kathleen yeah, Wynne decided she was going to, you know what? We're just going to throw the bone to, the, to Doug Ford. We're just going to give him all of the votes that people would have voted for me because, well, no one's voting for me. So everyone who could vote for me, we'll just give them to uh, the conservatives because I'm going to hate on the other progressive, competent leader, woman, party, and uh, say that, you know what, they're the same. So uh, don't vote for the NDP. So Kathleen Wynne did a, did a Bill Clinton... Um, a uh, Hillary Bill, <laughs> a Hillary Clinton, Doug, like Donald Trump thing, where she equated the two. And Kathleen, w- you know what? Kathleen Wynne needs to take responsibility for her mm-hmm. abject failure. Yep, absolutely, she fucking failed. And this is the thing: 
because she's failing, she decided to take somebody else down with her. Seriously? Like, oh, and who did she take down? Oh, the other woman. Yeah. Solid wow. solidarity. I just, I, Aaron, you're like, take, you're like sucking the thoughts out of my mm-hmm. head because I was just thinking that I was like, oh, she decided to take down the other woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like, fuck you. You know what? Yes. Okay. I've not gone on a Kathleen Wynn rant and I feel like this is the time. Hold on. I would just like to say, I'm not saying don't like all women have to be yeah we're not raw raw yeah yeah. but i'm saying is that like when someone shares largely the same values and isn't a piece of garbage why not lift them up if the other person is an absolute piece of trash you don't have to like them that's fine her government was going downhill anyway when she decided a week before the election to be like oh i'm quitting this shit peace out like she couldn't even She scorched earth it. She totally scorched earth it. And to be honest, like she decides to go down in the bowels of like political Ontario hell. You nobody can tell me about Bob Ray without talking about Kathleen Wynne, because at the same I know, I know it's not the same thing. But at this but people like to people like to talk about the NDP and they love to talk about Bob Ray at like as though that wasn't like a generation ago and i just want to talk about kathleen Wynne right now <laughs> kathleen Wynne is one of those women who decides that if she can't have it nobody else can the way that she brought the ndp down with her has not been talked about enough to be honest because At the end of the day, she threw her party under the bus so that she could save herself a week before the election and decided to take down another woman and another party with her. It's disgusting. Part of the reason that we have Doug Ford is Kathleen Wynne. And she needs to atone for her fucking, like, for her, like, I I just I I can't even right now we and you know what like we like the Ontario press has not talked about this enough the fact that she is part of the reason that we have Doug Ford fuck her I mean like it is disgusting what she did we could have had Mm -hmm. a much better government that had like we could have had a minority government even yeah right but no Kathleen Wynne decided to throw in the towel and and basically give her votes away to the progressive conservative fuck her well on that note let's move on to our next topic which is a, a pink transit tax so this is a story from Wired which Eric and I were talking about before we got online about how it's really kind of stepping up into expanding its its coverage from just tech and it's really including a lot of other things. Um, so the story basically says that women in New York city spend an average of 26 to $50 extra on transportation per month for safety re- reasons and up to $100 each m- monthly, sorry, $100 each month if they are their family's main caregiver, which is as much as $1,200 more than men each year. This project that studied gender-based 
price discrimination etched into the city's transportation system stemmed from researchers at NYU's Rudin Center for Transportation who were looking at the Me Too movement. Um, They conducted a survey and the results suggested that those experiences on public transit led to many women to make different set of transportation choices from those made by men. For instance, 75% of male female respondents said that they had experienced harassment or theft on public transportation compared with 47% of men. 29% of women said that they don't take public transportation late at night because of that, which compared to only 8% of male respondents. And 42% of women said that they felt safest taking four higher vehicles like Uber or Lyft, which are always, you know, more expensive than uh, a $3 transit ticket late at night. And 15% uh, felt, said that they felt the, the safest on public transit. So the cost burden falls even more heavily on people who take care of children. And research suggests that about three quarters of the people doing that today are mothers. Uh, one survey respondent wrote, quote, it is really hard to get around the city with children, even as an able-bodied person, particularly with multiple children. So, you know, imagine trying to carry a kid-filled stroller down the stairs of one of New York's subway stations, um, of which 355 don't have elevators, which is baffling to me. Um, and the majority of survey respondents who said that they took frequent caregiver trips spent more than 76 extra dollars on transportation each month. So uh, there are some caveats to this research. Um, so because the researchers collected their survey responses on the web, uh, they didn't hit all uh, demographics across New York. Um, and a disproportionate number of the respondents had bachelor's degrees or higher and a disproportionate number lived on the Upper West Side, which is both whiter and richer than the rest of the city. Um, and that indicates that the respondents had easier access to more expensive travel options like Uber or taxi um, than others in the city or in other boroughs. So uh, it meant that this means that uh, we could be very likely missing a, a key demographic of lower income women who may just not be able to take lifts or taxis and they just can't afford to feel safe uh, when they're trying to get around the city in which they live. Um, this was a really interesting study to read and I thought it was very interesting and I definitely take some of, I definitely can relate to some of this. And I definitely think that, you know, being middle income, we take a lot of this for granted. We do. We do. And you know, middle income with no kids. Also, I would like to point out, that this is exactly why the city of Ottawa and their fucking transportation commission meeting during the day needs to be able to have low income people on their boards. And <sighs> okay, I know I have thoughts too. <laughs> I I was like I was like, why is Aaron taking all of my thoughts right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, honestly, like okay, so um. Yeah, like, I thought this was really interesting uh, for obvious reasons that um, women, because women don't feel safe, because they don't feel safe with their children um, on transit, women are forced to take, this is why we need gender-based analysis. Yeah, this is why we need a women's bureau. Right, exactly. So, uh, I totally, totally get it. 
Um, and it's not like it's not imagined either. This is the whole thing. Yeah. It's not like women are like I, because I can I can only hear the arguments being like, well, you know, uh it's not our fault that you don't feel safe. And it's like, no, women aren't actually safe. So, yeah. I'm not sure. And it's true, public transit even now is not built for childcare. It really isn't. No, like I think newer construction transportation, particularly like um, light rail and stuff is more accessible for children and mothers and parents transporting children. But yeah, it's, there are definitely like barriers. Yeah. Like I think about those double decker buses. Fuck. And I'm like, how do you have children Mm -hmm. who are under the age of like, five Mm -hmm. and how do you transport them you uh, on those buses Mm -hmm. it's prohibitive and so i think that and those are new so it's obvious to me that the city didn't take into consideration women with children yep yep because the board is probably full of a bunch of men and older women who have had their children yep yep um, yeah, and they we have a lot of those double decker buses in Ottawa because the streets are very narrow and they can't um, necessarily accommodate the like extended buses. Right. So they just like, well, instead of having like the longer extended buses, we'll just like double them up right. vertically. Right. So uh, have you ever tried to get down from? You don't take the bus. Do I you? don't take the bus. Okay. So it's like I walked here today from my house. Really. How long does it take you? An hour. Okay. Which includes like a coffee stop. Okay. Yeah. Solid like 45 to 60 minutes. That's true. I could walk. It's 5K. Yeah. I could walk downtown too actually. Anyway, I get it. All this to say that um, double decker buses are prohibitive for single people enough. Like Mm. it's hard to get up and down them. If you are... If you have a disability, yeah, fuck that. Good fucking luck. Good luck. It's very difficult. I mean, I personally don't mind them because they remind me of London. But at the same time, I mean, that's just that's just more like mm. a cultural thing. But anyway, I do understand that if you're if you're not young and um, able bodied, I really don't know how you even use them. You have to stay at the bottom. And granted, the bottom is very, um, it's low to the ground and that's fine. But mm-hmm. the way the, the way the seating is stacked is still prohibitive. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, these things aren't still do not take women into consideration, um, and I'm not surprised that the cost burden on women is um, it's almost intrinsic. It really is. And it's insidious. I also would like to note that the project really started because people were looking at the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and that a movement such as Me Too, which you hear has gone too far and, you know, men are like pearl clutching 
also spurs positive analysis and research and research into the difference between how women basically move through society Mm -hmm. and move through their day. But for those who do not have the income to um, take these, to take Lyft, to take Uber, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're on like a restricted data plan on your, on your phone too, because that shit takes data. Then you have a, you have a natural structural disadvantage and it's about time we start looking at these things and start thinking of solutions to actually deal with them yeah i thought it was really really interesting that they use the me too movement as the the diving off point i never would have thought of that with regards to transportation i would have looked at it from like oh just a, a women's safety on transportation's um angle which probably I mean, you probably would have got to very similar findings, particularly about like women being like um, feeling as though people were following them or having theft or, you know, harassment issues like that. Still or people like feeling them up in the subway. Yeah. Oh, f- yeah. Because that fucking happens. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So you, I think you would have gotten to this, the issues from this you would have gotten to the same issues from a different standpoint, but using the me too movement as a jumping off point was, was very interesting to me. Um, I found it very shocking that like some it's that the disparity can reach up to $1,200 or more per year. Like that is that's astounding a, to that's me. That's a tax. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I don't know how, like, what's the, what's the solution, you know, like uh, in New York in particular, because like so many of these subway stations, the infrastructure is just so old. How do you change the infrastructure that's already there when you can't even get the subway to run on time, let alone people feel safe? Like, I feel like the the first thing that people need to prioritize is the functioning of the subway and so that people can get to where they're going on time. But then that the safety kind of becomes a back burner issue, which it shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like how do we prioritize both of those things at the same time? Or can we? Can we prioritize safety and functionality functionality like just general functionality because like the new york city subway system barely functions well that's the other thing and it's only going to exacerbate the problem once amazon moves in yeah listen de blasio and andrew cuomo better take that goddamn amazon h2 money and inject it into the subway system because they're going to bring in 25,000 more residents to the city. It makes me remember the um, the debate with Cynthia Nixon. Mm. Who really, she really had her shit together in that debate, mm. I must say. Um, but again, this is a man, like, these are men who don't get it so i don't you know why do we need more representation so that these things can be addressed yeah it's not that hard it really isn't that hard that different 
that certain structures that were made for men, white men, white cis men, white cis straight men, um, don't apply anymore because we have a more diverse populace. It's really not that hard to make that connection. Okay, so back to your question. How does one make things more functional and safe for women? Or or are, is that like an unrealistic expectation? Like, are is that a reasonable thing to want to happen simultaneously? I think for it to be functional, it has to be safe. Or else it's not functional. Sure. And so, as we can see, it's not functional. Yes. I think you, like, I think they're... Like, are you talking structurally? No, I meant like just like in like it's actual functioning as in like it doesn't run on time. I see. Like the literal, like the objective of transportation is to get you from point A to point B on its schedule. And it doesn't do that. Like people get trapped on the subway for like, like very often. Or it just doesn't come. It's like basically like OC transfer. Oh, okay. But worse. (laughs) Oh my god. In New York. Oh yes. <laughs> Millions of people. Holy fuck. Holy Millions. fuck. Millions. Like literally. Yes. Yeah. Here we're talking we're maybe like maybe a ten thousand. Wow. Ew. And you're trapped on the subway with like Yeah, like, like- I don't I don't even want to think about it because I don't like being trapped places obviously but like also like trans public transportation can be just gross yeah so you can just be trapped there and like one that's scary and like an inconvenience because like you're late to your job or you're late to pick up your kid from childcare or whatever but also you could be in an unsafe situation Your mind is blown right now. It is. It really is. I, I'm i like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Again, so functionality includes safety, but how do you make, so how do you make it functional? Is, yeah. How, yeah. It's, it's like a chicken and egg argument. Yeah. Um, I'm not expert. <laughs> Same. Uh... I think first it starts with it starts with reconfiguring how this shit works like in the sense that you really like instead of trying to make it fit into its existing sort of structure you try to amend the structure in some sort of way. I'm not talking like even if it comes down to like physical cars and how they're structured that's something Mm. too right so it's that it's how often these cars come uh you obviously there's obviously something wrong like there's obviously some kind of you know why don't they use all the data that they start collecting and do something and actually apply it to actually fixing some of these problems instead of like surveilling people listen that would just be too ambitious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're going to have if you're going to collect all this data, actually collect data from the trains and if it if it has to do and actually use that to construct a um, some type of warning system, 
be some type of um, system that can tell people when it's breaking, when a car is breaking down, what the problem is. Is it the track? Uh, when the next car is coming and if it's late, some sort of, you know, some sort of like, um, like, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> if it's, if, if a car, if a train is late, then some sort of system that either warns people that it's late or can, I don't, I don't know. The thing is that like a lot of the, the systems they have for like timing, even here in Ottawa are wrong. Like they'll be like, Oh, four minutes. Oh, all of a sudden it's 10 minutes. Okay. Then you wait like, Oh, well it's coming. It's going to be late. And you, but, but this is my thing is that the technology is out there to do better. Sure. Like, if if Uber can tell me what fucking time a car is coming. Well, I mean, even Uber's timing isn't great. I, I agree. It changes. Like, two minutes goes to six. <laughs> or it just says two minutes for ten minutes. You're just like, okay. He's two minutes away. That doesn't mean he's not taking the wrong way to get here. By the way, like, Uber drivers are getting, like, worse. Yeah. Yeah, they're fucking dumb. Yeah. Like, they can't, they just refuse to follow the directions. They do. Or, they're like, hey, can you drop me off at this place? And they're like, that's not my way. And you're just like, but I asked you to take a certain way. Can you just take that way? I know. That's not the way I take. And you're just like, is this allowed in Uber? Listen, I just give them a one-star rating then. You're going to sass mouth me, your rating goes down. I'm just like, and then they act like they're doing you a favor if they actually do what you ask them to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I have my own issues with Uber. Uh, anyway, transportation is a really interesting but like very complex subject. And like I'm interested to see like what happens with Ottawa once we finally get our LRT up and running eventually some point in the future um, and how it's used and how safe people feel. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I um. Again, I I feel like there's a way. I think that these cars can be constructed to accommodate all sorts of people. I just don't think the will is there, and I think that there's a way to harness technology to actually improve, like improve the access and quality of transportation but we tend to think about these things as injecting more money and that will be everything but there really does need to be a different way of thinking about these things and if we keep electing the same old shitty people the same old white dudes Mm. they're not that's not where the innovation is sorry sorry not there Uh -uh. uh-uh you know so, and how do other countries do it? God. <laughs> Stay tuned to Render Receipts. And now we're back with Rent and Receipts. This is where we each bring a story, a news item, or pop culture, or whatever to share with the other and uh, kind of rant about it, talk about it, and... Uh, Tell you why you should care. It should be on your radar. Okay, so I, my story this week 
has to do with da 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 Sheryl Sandberg and Ugh. Facebook and her lean in bullshit that everybody tried to posit as though it was some next wing of feminist theory. And I'm just like, ha 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 ha. ha. This is you, like the remix version. This is. And this is funny because I called we yeah. we on this podcast called bullshit on it the moment it stepped foot in the sort of vernacular. So Cheryl Sandberg, as you know, the chief operating officer of Facebook published her manifesto. And I put <laughs> that in quotations lean in five years ago. So we've had five years of this bullshit <laughs> urging women not to sell themselves short at work, and de- or doubt their ability to balance a family with a career. Now, even just like talking about this right now makes me angry because it just ignored all of the structural issues, um, like actual structural issues, either implied or explicit that women have towards like, um, you know, leaning in so to speak like that dude who cuts you off or takes your ideas and then posits them as their own Mm. to senior management for example like that's a problem so anyway or or the idea that leaning in makes women look more aggressive which makes them like frightening to men and anyway there are many 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 other reasons that we could go through but that's not the point not my point. Anyway, so her sterling reputation, uh, not to me, by the way, but whatever, to other women who, especially other upper class white women, really took to this book and took to this concept. And they're like, maybe it's us. And I'm like, no, it's not you. It's the fucking patriarchy. Anyway, um, her reputation took a hit. If you guys read the New York Times this week and how which really talked about Facebook and how Facebook um, suppressed a lot of um, the they knew about the issues going on with the Russia meddling with the fake news with the hate and they basically suppressed it and ignored it, and lied about it to everybody. So, um, now Sandberg was instrumental in doing so. And at the same time she was building her personal brand, she was using aggressive and underhanded tactics at Facebook. So, this is from the New Republic, and I will quote them right now. As the company faced increasing criticism and pressure over its handling of fake news, election interference, data abuse, and the incitement of ethnic violence and genocide, she embraced a strategy to suppress information about Facebook's problems and by discrediting its its critics and deflected blame onto its competitors. She berated her security chief for being honest about the extent of the Russian campaign on the site. 
and she employed multiple crisis PR firms that spread fake news as a defense tactic. In one instance, tying critics to the liberal billionaire George Soros, a frequent subject of anti-Semitic abuse online. Sandberg also hired lobbyists to push terrible pieces of legislation like the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which has endangered the safety of sex workers in an attempt to woo skeptical Republicans, end quote. So she is the uglier version of Kathleen Wynne, basically. Ooh. Yeah. And in doing so, used a feminist moniker to push a gl- her global per- like personal presence onto the stage. So I'm now going to push to a piece, I just saw that, written by Danielle Drory um, in the Los Angeles Review of Books, um, Feminist Ambivalences at Exclusive Women's Social Club, where she talks about um, how she uh, attended this exclusive women's social club, The Wing, and um, where feminist language is deployed for branding purposes and the tiring imperatives to, quote, lean in or crack the glass ceiling. And it ba- she basically talks about how the embodiment of feminism was gender equality in basically all in all spaces and how it's turned into this very capitalist notion of women gaining power within that framework and um, equal to men. And basically, like I will add that that separates women and it separates women into the powerful and the disempowered. So the and I want to actually bring in the notion of power and how the white capitalist supremacist framework of power is subjugation of others to gain um, influence over political and economic processes and outcomes. Whereas empowerment, which is what feminism was supposed to be about, is a more subtle yet um, more effective way of spreading equality throughout gender, like throughout feminism, using gender balances and also marginalized, to bring marginalized people into the phrase so that they can be empowered and move change. And that difference between how we look at feminism through a neo-capitalist framework and how we look at feminism through a social equality framework is basically sort of what we're seeing with Sheryl Sandberg and the lean in movement. That's my point. That was deep, y'all. <laughs> I was like, I just came up, I was I just connected those and I was just like, I feel smart. But yeah. it it like I know I gave a lot there, but there are different facets. So go ahead. Yeah. So um, this piece in the LA Review of Books um, was uh, flagged in my Twitter feed by Vicky Mochama. And she kind of had this thread about how she, as a business owner of a podcast network or a, w- a would-be podcast network and where they do training, 
uh, and they want to elevate the voices of marginalized people, how her and her business partner, like they struggle to one, make money for themselves because that's why part of the reason why they got into this company, but two, how they reconcile their feminist and intersectional beliefs while still maintaining you know, a bottom line for themselves and a livable income for themselves. And she's like, you know, it's hard because like we have values as a company and we have our own personal values and it it's tough because we like nice things and we like smelling good and we like, you know, living a certain lifestyle. But at the same time, like they believe in equality and equity and that means people paying people a living wage. It means, you know, giving people um recognition and compensation for the work that they do and you know having you know supporting having i don't know like let's say advertisers or sponsors who also have the same values as them but who may not have money and you have to make a business decision and i think that we're finally seeing a bit of that across the podcasting landscape yeah. more specifically. Yeah. Um, I also saw a thread about um, a very popular podcast company in the States who are, who is run by liberal progressive people and one of their sponsors, you know, basically has inhumane practices and you know what the potential fallout for that could be. I don't know. Um, we need to get away from this idea of purity Mm. and, um, and become more practical. I think that it can be done, but I think you have to build towards it. So for example, I like, I know, so now now that I'm, (laughs) now that I have a job again, um, doing something that I love it's it gives me more freedom to build my sort of my business in a way that um that I want it to be built so in other words like I can do more of the stuff that I want to do yeah and I can kind of farm out the rest for people who want to kind of build it with me and want to contribute to that central idea even though I can't afford to pay people um on a full-time basis because that means benefits basically like hire people Mm full-time um it's and we're in uh, a time now where that sort of plug-and-play labor is a thing and so how do we use that labor to a benefit for both of us if one part can only afford so much? Mm-hmm. I get that. Um, it's something that I think about a lot. And, you know, so when I get like, you know, inputs of graphic designers or this or that, it's more about, okay, how much do you charge? Um, I, I'll pay you basically what you, what you charge and I will adjust sort of the fee according to that. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but that means that if I'm giving a certain level of service, then I need a certain level of client. That's, that's a match that has to be made and it takes a while to make that match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So for example, if you have a client who you like, if you have like, say a graphic designer who does really good work and you want to pay them their value, you have to find a client to who appreciates that value and wants to pay for it. So Mm -hmm. it all kind of like goes in line kind of thing. Um, In terms of how we, um, I just don't think we can have everything at the same time in the beginning. I agree with that. I think that, you know, there, I mean, some people aren't going to compromise their values and that's fine. And as we, as industries become more niche and there are like advertisers who are going to support, who are only going to have a set of clients that are vegan or not cruelty free or whatever. And that's fine. Like there is a market for that. It's there. People aren't going to like break the bank and like earn loads of money. And that's fine. That's people. That's a business decision. Um, But I think that, you know, there is a point where like there are things like you have to kind of be flexible in where you're willing to, to give. And I think that there are probably like as companies you can, decide what what the deal breakers are but i keep thinking about the about roxanne gay and she had a book deal with simon and schuster and simon and schuster was publishing um a milosh's right he had a book deal with they had a book deal with milosh milosh yanopolis and i think she was like through eventually right she was like look like if you have a book deal with him. I'm out. I'm pulling my book from you. And um, I I don't care. Um, and then eventually the Yiannopoulos' book deal fell through. And I, mm. don't, I don't know what happened with Roxanne Gay. If she went back with Simon & Schuster or went with someone else. Um, but she acknowledged, like, I have put the work in and I've reached a level of income and security where I can afford to pull my book from this publisher because my content is in demand but she she's like i recognize that that's a level of privilege that i have reached and i acknowledge that and that's not something that everyone can do and that's okay but like acknowledging that you have issues with it is fine be like i don't agree with whatever yanopolis is spouting but you know i also have to pay my bills yeah like bills need to be paid yeah um (laughs) I, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. And um, in terms of feminism and where it's where it's gone to, it really has been co-opted by this sort of idea of um, of power over empowerment and the power and power to use other people to further your own goals and i think that's basically what sheryl sandberg's lean in meant means it really at this point means exactly that that we can have the same power as men to subjugate and to take advantage of and to it's the it's the um sofia amoruso type of idea who 
is that nasty gal? No, um, is it nasty gal? Right. Who basically treated women like shit and is now running these empowerment seminars uh, with with some pretty high profile people and can do so because she's built a brand for herself. But really, it's off the backs of other women. And we really, as feminism, have to take a look at that and stop looking at these women as though they're they're the next they're the second coming and actually be critical and say look this we're here for empowerment not not the established structure of power because i really do think that empowerment and power like empowerment is that ultimate the ultimate power i really do because without empowerment we wouldn't have had the civil rights movement. We wouldn't have had um, a lot of the change that we seek. Because once we keep seeking that power from the established institutions and from the established structure of power, we will always lose. And that's the thing. Like, I when it comes down to like paying your bills. I totally get it. They're going to be they're going to be like trade-offs you have to make in the beginning as you build that empowerment, right? But if you can get to a point where you not only empower yourself but others, I really do think that that is sort of like a way out in a way. Yeah, so uh now how to do that that's the devil in the details (laughs) (laughs) so uh my render receipts this week um as you know i am no fan of sophia amoruso and uh which is why i dropped her name listen (laughs) my render receipts is a big fuck you to any fucking quote-unquote business female empowerment conference including the fucking girl boss rally, which is happening right now, which got up all of my Instagram feed and my Facebook feed with their goddamn ads, which is run by Sophia Amoruso. And also the uh, teen Vogue summit, the what the teen Vogue summit. So why, why does this matter? Because these are conferences. Well, let's see the teen Vogue summit. Um, well, as someone who's in their 30s, I don't really read much Teen Vogue, but I read some of their stuff and I obviously don't have a subscription. So going to the Teen Vogue Summit, probably not for me. Um, I don't need to you know, be spoken to about um, finding yourself and feminism and you know, activism and have uh, a YouTube star and a teenage actor talk to me about, you know, your time will come. Cool. So therefore, the audience for this event, this conference, I would say uh, 16 to 26. Right? Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah? yeah. That seems right? Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, a two full day summit, all inclusive pass uh, is $499. What? Uh, and that's that's the reduced rate because if you buy the individual days, the Friday is one hundred and ninety nine dollars, and the Saturday is three hundred and forty nine dollars. Oh, but also if you want to upgrade your Saturday experience um, with add ons, that's an extra two hundred and forty nine dollars. I'm sorry, 
I can't afford that. Neither I have a full-time job. Neither can I. So this 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 event. Who oh, are these teens? Happens in LA. Um, oh, which is another like expense. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that's cool. Um, it's we've talked about these types of things before, which is inc- like the barriers to participation are extremely high. And if you're targeting younger people, particularly young women, this is basically just a marketing ploy to be like, oh, here are some famous people like fucking Serena Williams who are going to be speaking. And oh, my God, they want to see Serena Williams speak. Oh, my God. Lana Condor, who was in To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and she's everyone's all about her right now. She's going to be there, too. Um, Cool. Great. Oh, Terry Crews. Cool. Awesome. Oh, who else? Let's see. Um, Eva Longoria. I don't care. Cara Delevingne. I don't really care about her either. Why is she there? I don't understand what she's... Cara Delevingne is an actor and style icon. Not former supermodel. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Is Cara Delevingne a style icon? No. Her style's fine. I'm... Her editorial is way better than her personal style. Anyway, um, my point is that, and she's privileged. This as fuck too, is going actually. to be full of a bunch of rich, predominantly white people, and then we go to the girl boss rally. Oh God! Happening right now. So Sophia Amoruso, um, you know, famously got out of poverty by selling her clothes on eBay, and then created nasty gal which is a website which then went bankrupt because she ran it into the ground and didn't know how to run a business like anything else then she wrote this garbage book which also like she basically had to declare bankruptcy because she doesn't know how to run any sort of business and she's a fraud um the two-day vip weekender pass hold on let me just see where uh this takes place i also believe i think it's in new york Oh, fairly certain it's in new york oh fuck let's see oh yes uh it's in new york oh so it's happening at this beautiful millennial pink space in new york um it's got some partner hotels which are very expensive looking they're very boutique um so a two-day vip weekender pass for this conference 795 dollars for a two-day general admission weekend pass, $495. For a one-day registration, on the Saturday, 275 On the Sunday, it is also 275 Cool. Oh, but also, you know, aside from just the speakers, there's going to be a bookstore. There's going to be a place where, like, the sponsors can sell their goods and their wares. Uh, you could also buy uh, shopping passes as like a regular Joe off the street who can't afford to go to the actual event, but does want to come and buy all the things that are being sold at the event. Uh, those for both either Saturday or Sunday are $30 each just to just go and look in to see if you want to buy anything. Um, fuck right off because New York's also a very expensive place to stay. <sighs> Um, this is definitely targeting the more post-college to early 40s crowd because I 
because hashtag girl boss is speaks to a lot of adult women apparently um, really y- yeah um so who are these women i i really want to know who's the like- thing that makes me i mean the whole price of this what makes me really mad is that there are speakers at this event that Sofia Amoruso is putting on who should know better. Yeah. But at the same time, further to your previous point, Erica, is that these women also need to get paid. So they want to get paid, but they should also know better to support this woman. So we've got Ariana Huffington. I mean, I don't expect her to know better in fairness. No, because she <laughs> she didn't pay people at Half Post. So, you know, she sucked back and oh, Miss Ms. Exposure. Yeah. And and then has the temerity to turn around and say, Well, you need to take care of yourself better and you need more sleep. Well, maybe if you paid for people to write articles in Half Post, they'd have more fucking time to sleep. Yeah. Uh there's Don. Laguens, who took over at Planned Parenthood in America. Um, there is... She should know better. She should know better. Uh, white woman. Uh, Simone Sanders. Oh, no, no, no. Not not, not the one. No. Uh-huh. No. Simone Sanders. You know what? Who, she is part of Blue Check Twitter, though. She uh, is a Democratic strategist, so she... Used to work on Bernie Sanders' campaign, and then she worked for Cynthia Nixon um, recently. She worked for two people who lost. Like, I don't consider that. Oh, wait, wait. Here we go. Elaine Welteroth. Also. (gasps) No, not Team Vogue, Elaine. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, Elaine. Yep. That hurts, actually. I know. Um, Actually, Elaine Welteroth should know better and should doesn't need the money. Like yeah. let's just put that. Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, also, Shadia Caldwell from Black Girl Magic. Um, you know, like uh, there's a lot of she girl boss rally, which I, I it pains me to say. Like I'm deeply uncomfortable saying it. Has a very diverse set of speakers, mm-hmm. and that makes me mad. Yeah, because I know that that is not what Sophia Amoruso believes in. She's just like, oh, yes, yes. These are all the hot people. Yeah. This is going to make sure I don't get shit on by only having white panels. Right. She is, she's totally, she's, you know what it is? She just chose, she's like, she's like the high school cheerleader who chose her crew. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yes. She's like, you can be on the squad and you can be on the squad and you can be on the squad. But I don't know about you. And then I mistakenly went in the, into the hashtag on Twitter. Oh, gosh. No. In fairness, there aren't tons of tweets to it. Thank God. But there is one. <sighs> this white woman tweets my first girl boss rally and sophia m russo encapsulated the spirit of the day listening and learning from awesome women in business today hashtag girl boss rally everyone's talking about oh all the women of color on these panels are like yes representation matters yes hire women of color fine yes great 
awesome. Absolutely. These women should be using their platform to do this, to say these things to this room of white, predominantly white people, I imagine. But also those women who are there are like the whitest feminists ever. They're like equality, not equity. They're rah rah sis boom ba feminists as in like sisterhood of the traveling pants yeah it's it's the same sort of feminism you know um we we're just talking about in my rent and receipts it's that it's that neoliberal type of feminism that where yeah you expand the club but it's still a an exclusive club you just you're just you're just taking in new members, basically. Yeah, you can you can be in the room, but you you don't really belong. Yeah. Um, so, again, I mean, I think feminism needs some soul searching, anyway. But like, we're not like if this is an opportunity for women in business to learn from successful women in business. Um, I can tell you that privileged white women who can afford to pay eight hundred dollars don't need to learn about how to be successful in business. You know who learn needs to learn how to be successful in business? People who can't afford to attend. They're the ones who need the advice. They're the ones who need the mentorship. They're the ones who need the connections. Not these privileged people. Yeah, exactly. I'm so tired of this bullshit. Like, why not go into a community? There, I, You know what? In New York, I'm sure there are hundreds of organizations that help women of color starting out with businesses there are incubators there are whatever why not go and be like hey you all here are some free passes here are discounted tickets there are a lot of sort of women's panels that um women's panels women's organizations that put together the these women's like only conferences how to you know break through the gender bear like it's 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 really gross and then they charge like a whole bunch of money to go to a conference that really does not give you anything like it really doesn't and i'm not sure what you get out of i don't know where the value is and the use of women as say as a branding tool is real is something i'm really really sick of this it's this run like a girl idea it's this girl boss and why is it always girl it's infantilizing it's infantilizing it's transphobic it this is why i'm so deeply uncomfortable saying it like it does. It's creepy and gross. It is. It is creepy and gross. It's like it's it's and it gives the idea that you always need a parent. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I hate the use of the word girl, girl, boss, girl, tr- girl. I saw girl, pr- girl, boss, girl, entrepreneur. I saw that and I Ew. was just like. Okay, first of all, I can't say that. And second of all, ew. Um, femtrepreneur is another one. Um, like, what is this? What is this with infantilizing and 
diminishing your own sort of accomplishments as a woman in a certain space like why do I need a chaperone into like powerful position I don't understand why women need a chaperone all the time and that's the messaging you get it's like you know what it is it's like instead of dealing with actual barriers it the 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 discrepancy between women in business women in the boardroom women in this women in that instead of looking at the structural barriers we put the onus on women not doing enough and not making enough of an effort which is what lean in was all about it's like no the onus is on you and the problems start with you and i just like reject that i think that the issue is structural no matter what like it that's what it is or else or else the discrepancy wouldn't be so stubborn and so um this whole idea of run like a girl or girl boss or girl this is just another iteration of that it's like it's like it's okay, we'll provide you with a chaperone to take you through the real world. And I reject the shit out of that. The fuck? (laughs) Anyway, um, I guess that does it. Uh, We'll be back later this week with our misogynist of the week, and I think that's going to be a fun one. Oh, you'll like that one. (laughs) I guarantee. Um, Hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Podcast. And uh, we're on Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast. Sorry. Nope. Get social with us. We're on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast, and email us badandbpod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.